Thank you, guys. Hey, we're in part five of our series called Pray First. We've had a rally cry for this sermon series. Never had a rally cry for a sermon series before, but it's been kind of fun. What's our rally cry? That's it. That's it. And uh, our theme verse for this is found in 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Let's read this verse out loud together. We'll read the reference at the end, too, uh, so we remember where to find it. Ready? Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. And so we've been trying to rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. We've actually been doing it at special times up here at church, 6 o'clock every morning, 6 o'clock every evening. Many of you have participated in that. And if you never come to one of the prayer meetings, we're going to be doing them all this week, tonight, and the rest of this week, and all, up through Sunday evening, August 30th. And we'd encourage you to come at some point through the 21 days here and pray. I've gotten good feedback from many of you on praying, whether it's here or it's just in your own uh, uh, setting. Uh, had good conversations about fasting. We've been encouraging you to do some fasting stuff during this time. And so we've got about eight days left, and we really want to finish well on this 21 days. The first three weeks of this series, uh, my goal was to teach you about prayer, to teach you how to pray at a certain time and a certain place and a certain, with a certain plan. And so in the first part, we focused on kind of the cognitive information, the head part of prayer. In the last three weeks, during the 21 days, I've been wanting to focus on the heart part of prayer. And so uh, we've been looking at, at close encounters with God, looking at people who had a close encounter with God to see if we can learn something from their close encounter that will help us with our close encounter. So we're going to read Exodus 33, 11. We'll read it out loud together. It says, The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Circle that phrase, face to face. Face to face. There is an intimacy. There's a closeness here when Moses spoke with God. Moses actually wrote this. And so this would be Moses' personal eyewitness testimony. This is how God and I interacted. Well, it's like God was right there in front of him, uh, face to face like a friend. Now, why is close, a close encounter with God so important? Because if you aren't careful, your Christian life can get to the point where it's based solely on what you think and what you believe. Now, please understand, what you think and what you believe is vitally important. But you also need to encounter God. You need to experience God's power, God's presence. Because when you experience God's power and God's presence, it will change you forever. The Apostle Paul, when he went to the Corinthian church, he says, I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. Paul says, I didn't try and argue you into this. I didn't try and reason you into it. But with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. It was a close encounter with God that provided them the, the power that they needed in their faith. Now, last week, we looked at Jacob's close encounter. We looked at Jacob and how he wrestled with God. This week, we're going to look at Moses' close encounter. And in Exodus thirty-three eleven, 11, uh, you know, uh, Moses tells how he talked with God face-to-face like a friend. But that's in chapter 33 of the story. Moses didn't start out 
face to face with God. It took him a little while to get there. So we're going to go back today and look at chapter 3 and see what's going on. Most people are familiar with Moses' life. I mean, if you've seen the Ten Commandments movie with Charlton Heston, show it on TV every Passover. Maybe you've seen the animated uh, Disney, The Prince of Egypt. But most, most of us are familiar with, with Moses' story. The uh, Hebrews, the Jews, were, uh, had been slaves in Egypt for a long time, but God was still blessing them. And the Egyptians were afraid at their numbers, afraid at, at how powerful they were becoming, and so they decided to, to thin them out a little bit by killing a generation of, of uh, babies. And so Moses' mother took him, put little baby Moses in a basket, put him in the Nile River to, to hide him. But Pharaoh's daughter discovered the baby, and she took him back to the palace and raised him uh, as her own to be a prince in Egypt. And then later when Moses has grown up, he's a man, he finds out that he's not Egyptian, he's actually a Hebrew, he's got an identity crisis, you know, who am I? These are really my brothers, these slaves, and, and he sees an Egyptian slave master beating one of them, and it, his, his anger rises up and he kills the guy. And so now he winds up in exile, has to flee to the far side of the desert, and he's out there herding sheep. So in Exodus 3, Moses is now 80 years old when we pick up the story. You know, our day, we think that, uh, you know, our life's work is over at 65 or at 55 if we can swing it. But Moses is 80 when he gets his calling. So don't start resting on your laurels too soon. It says, now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. Makes you wonder how old his father-in-law was. Uh, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert. And I just want to focus on that phrase for just a moment. The far side of the desert. I mean, that would describe where many of you feel you are with God. If you were to describe your relationship with God, it would be far and dry. That's where Moses was when he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. This is his encounter with the burning bush. God is notorious for creating strange ways to draw you in. If you want a God who's all neat, tidy, and predictable, you're not going to enjoy God. Because God loves to do strange things. And he doesn't like to do the same strange thing twice. You know, we want to get all walked into, you know, we think we've got God figured out. Oh, a burning bush. God speaks to a burning bush. If you haven't seen a burning bush, you haven't heard from God. In fact, we're going to be the first church of the burning bush. Because that's how God speaks to people. Through a burn. You, you can't lock God in your box. He just, he just won't fit. So God appeared to Moses in a burning bush, and that's strange. And whenever God does something strange, you've got to decide how you're going to respond to it. So here's what Moses decided. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. Moses decides to go check it out. Now, he didn't have to. He could have just blown it off, thought, oh, that's weird. Or he could have been afraid of it and said, oh, I'm not going anywhere near that. It's spooky. But he decides, I'm going to go check this out. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, when you're on your spiritual journey and you see God doing something strange and you go to check it out, you go to look at it, God sees that. God sees that. The Lord saw that he'd gone over to look. 
and God likes that. You know, for many of you, coming to this service is kind of a strange occurrence for you. Maybe you haven't been in church. Maybe you've never been in church. You haven't been in a church that looks like this or sounds like this. And even the message, the idea that you can meet God face to face, that's a little strange to you. But when you respond to what God is doing in your life and you seek it out and you investigate it, God sees that and God likes it. So when Moses went over to investigate this strange thing, God called to him from within the bush. When you take a step to investigate the strange thing, God often speaks to you through the strange thing. That's been my prayer for you today been my prayer all week. It's my prayer just right now back there before the service started. I'm just praying that God will speak to you through what's happening today, because that's what God does here for Moses. And you, you've seen the movie, so you know God says, Moses, Moses. Actually, in the movie, God says, Moses, Moses, because that's how God speaks when he's acting. Okay? <laughs> and Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. God's saying to Moses, look, this is a unique, special encounter. This is a a special moment, a holy moment. And that's what we try and do for you each weekend. We try to do it with our songs, with our message. We just try to create a holy moment where you can encounter God. That's why I plead with you to, to lean into worship to just lean, don't just be an observer, participate, clap, sing, lift your hands, respond, uh, uh, act. So I encourage you to take notes uh, during the message, to lean into it, because that's how you encounter God. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face, because he was afraid to look at God. Don't miss this. In Exodus 3, Moses hid his face. In Exodus 33, he's talking to God face to face like he'd talked to him as a friend. And that's a big transformation, big transition. What what happened to get Moses from hiding, I don't want anything to do with you, I can't comprehend, I'm afraid of you, to, hey, friend, let's have a conversation. I want us to look at four obstacles that Moses had that were preventing him from encountering God. And let's see if you have any of those obstacles in your life. So here we go. If you're taking notes, jot them down. If you're not taking notes, jot them down. So first thing, Moses says, who am I? First obstacle that Moses thought was a good reason for him not to get close to God was his own self. He's thinking, obviously, God, you've not been paying attention because I'm messed up. I'm out here, I'm in exile, I'm on the run, I'm a murderer, I'm just a shepherd in the backwoods, I got issues, you don't want me, I'm not worthy, you picked the wrong guy. Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And then notice what God says. Moses' question was, who am I? So you would think that God would answer the question and tell him, but he doesn't. Instead, God says, I will be with you. God just redirects Moses off of Moses' character onto God's character. Moses doesn't matter who you are, I will be with you. Because a mistake that we often make when we try to get close to God is we we think we can only get as close to God as we are worthy. 
The problem is none of us are worthy. None. None of us. You don't approach God on the basis of your worth. You approach God on the basis of his worth. You don't approach God on the basis of your work. You approach him on the basis of the work that Jesus Christ has done. You don't approach God on the basis of what you do. You approach God on the basis of what Jesus Christ has already done for you. And this is, this is a crucial distinction because this is how it plays out in your life. You know, you're, you're, you're drawn to an encounter with God. And this is what God does. You can, feel the, you can feel the draw. You can feel the pull. The Holy Spirit is inviting you into worship, inviting you into fellowship, into communion, into communication with God. And you feel that draw, but in your mind, you're rehearsing your week. And you're thinking, remember last Tuesday when you did this and remember Wednesday when you said that and remember Thursday when you thought this and then the devil kind of slimes up next to you and starts laying accusations like you mean you can go do what you did last night and then show up at church on Sunday and clap and sing like everything's okay and the premise of that is a lie it's a lie whether it's accusations that you're laying against yourself or accusations that the devil's bringing they're a lie. The, the first obstacle we have to come in order to encounter God, we've got to overcome condemnation. Because condemnation will always keep you from getting close to God. Not because God condemns you. Because God doesn't. Romans 8.1 says, There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. God does not condemn. Satan condemns. That's who he is. He's the accuser. He accuses you of your sin because he knows that condemnation will keep you from encountering God and his goal is to keep you from encountering God. But condemnation is not the way that God deals with our sin. John 3.17, verse right after John 3.16, says that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. God doesn't condemn you. He saves you. Jesus didn't come into the world to tell you how bad you are. Jesus came into the world to give you a way out. Condemnation tells you how bad you are. Conviction, that's what God does. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Conviction of sin tells you, yeah, this is what you did that's wrong. Here's your way out. This is what you need to do. This is how you correct it. Conviction always leads you out of sin. Condemnation locks you in it. And so if you're going to encounter God, you cannot do it based on your worth. It has to be based on God's worth. You can't do it on your work. It has to be based on God's work. Titus 3, 4, and 5, great verse. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. God didn't save you because of who you are. God saved you because of who he is. And so the first obstacle is, who am I? So let me just tell you who you are. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ, and unfortunately that's an if question. You know, not, not everybody has. If you haven't, you need to. Because if you trust in Jesus Christ, there's no more condemnation. You become God's child. God becomes your father. He doesn't condemn you. He saves you. You're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. 
Who am I? Another hurdle. Moses actually said to God, who are you? Who are you? I mean, I, I, I believe that up to this point, Moses really didn't know who God was. I mean, in, in fact, for Moses, he probably thought that God was an abandoner. God, you know, we've heard about you. Our forefathers talked about your great promises to our ancestor Abraham. You promised to make us a great people and make us a great nation, but it seems like you've kind of bailed on us because for the last 400 years we've been slaves in Egypt. That's Moses' understanding of God. Look at Moses' conversation with God. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. Now, first, that seems like a non-answer. I mean, it seems like that's kind of a cryptic answer. That's just a little obtuse. I am who I am. But, you know, when you come to understand it, you realize that's the very best answer. I mean, God says, you want to know who I am? I am. Start asking, Moses. And the answer is, I am. Moses, you know, are you great? I am. Are you glorious? I am. Are you gracious? I am. Are you giving? I am. And Moses is just working his way through the G's. And, and, and God says, I am. You know, are you? I am. Are you? I am. Are you? I am. I am. I am. I am. You know, this is what you say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. There's nothing you can come up with that is not I am. And so our second barrier is just how big is your God? Because if, if you have a small view of God, then you have to, on your notes, you have to overcome doubt. Overcome doubt. Here's a little prayer tip for you. Too many of us spend our prayers telling God how big our problems are. And we need to spend our time telling our problems how big God is. That makes all the difference. You ought to just start your prayer time by just praising God for how big he is. Just every day, find a new, fresh way to appreciate God for who he is. Just celebrate, God, you're my savior, you're my shepherd, you're my healer, you're my rock, you're my refuge. Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Say it with me. Nothing is too difficult for you. Yeah. If you're going to have an encounter with God, you've got to know who you are. If, you know, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, you're God's child. God is your father. God does not condemn you. And in order to have an encounter with God, you've got to know who God is. He's I am. He's your sanctifier, your righteousness, your redeemer, your provider, your sustainer, your shield. Nothing is too big for God. Moses has another obstacle. He's just full of excuses. Number three, what if they? So Moses focuses on himself, and then he focuses on God, and then he focuses on everybody else. What if they? What if they do not believe me or listen to me? What if I go back to these people and say, I was herding sheep out there in the desert, and a bush started talking to me? I mean, you want to go tell somebody that? I was mowing the yard, and this bush started talking to me. You want to know what it said? Yeah. They will say, the Lord did not appear to you. So here's the struggle. 
the obstacle. If we're not careful, we will let what other people think keep us from getting close to God. Happened in Jesus' day. Look at John 12 on the screen. Sad verse. It says, Nevertheless, many, even of the rulers, believed in him. Many, even rulers, believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him. They, would, they believed in him, but they wouldn't tell anybody about it for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. Now, to be put out of the synagogue doesn't mean they just can't go to church anymore. To, to be put out, it's like what happens in India when, when, uh, in the villages when people convert from Hinduism to Christianity. In the village, they put them out. They, they can't shop at the market anymore. They can't draw water from the well anymore. Their kids can't play with anybody else's kids. They can't go to the school. They're, they're just social outcasts. For fear they would be put out of the synagogue. For they love the approval of men rather than the approval of God. It's a hurdle. It's an obstacle. And I think many of us struggle, struggle with that obstacle. Even, even at far less levels of persecution. I mean, do you... Do you care more about what other people think than you care about what God thinks? That's the question. And and it's a hurdle that we have to overcome. We have to overcome fear. Some of us, that's the next step we need to take to encounter God. We're too concerned about what other people think, and we're not concerned enough about what God thinks. And this can play out in a lot of different areas in your life. And even for me as a pastor. You know, I I did not grow up in a church like this. I grew up in a small Iowa town in a very small church. And, you know, if we had 35 people at the church, that was a huge Sunday. And the service was very, very somber. I mean, you didn't dare move because you didn't want your pew to squeak and cause a disturbance. I mean, it it was like a tomb in there. And even when I got saved in college, the churches I attended, they weren't like this one. I mean, they were a little bigger, they were a little louder, but you know, they were still stiff and formal. And so when I got plugged into the purpose-driven church movement back in the early 90s, and I encountered this full-on contemporary worship, it was a huge shock to me. I mean, even in the early days of Rockbrook, I mean, I was, just, I was still struggling with it. And just as the pastor of the church, because... You know, for one thing, uh, you know, I still struggle today because we, you know, we have so many first-time visitors who come, and I just, what will people think when we're doing this? And sometimes when we're worshiping, and I love our worship, but once in a while, a thought will just cross my, oh, what will people think? Because I remember how difficult that transition was for me. It was an obstacle. But there was something in the worship. There was a life in there. There was an energy in there that would draw me, but I really hadn't experienced it. And I knew, I knew the Bible said to clap and sing and shout and dance and lift your hands, but I thought the Psalms were more poetic than literal. And so to encounter a literal living out of the book of Psalms in a modern day church, it it was strange for me. I I talked a little bit about this last week and... and, uh, after the sermon, our oldest son, Andrew, came up and he said, you know, you're telling people to do everything I got in trouble for. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so I, you know, I have to kind of repent. But I, I honestly, I remember in my own self struggling with what will people think in, in worship if I do these things? And um, I, I remember, and what's strange about that is I would do every one of those expressions at a ball game. 
know, I would go to our kids' games and I would sing and I would shout and I would clap my hands and I would lift my hands and and I'd do all kinds of stupid stuff, (laughs) you know? And they they were all acceptable there. You know, to, to me, the book of Psalms looked more like Saturday than Sunday, and when I came to worship, I, I was bound. I, I was in bondage. And I knew, I knew that God deserved more praise than any soccer game. I knew he did. But I was in a cage when it came to worship. Because I was more concerned about what other people thought than I was concerned about what God thought. And finally, one Sunday, we were meeting over at the movie theater years ago. And... Um, uh, I just preached an exceptional sermon. <laughs> it could happen. And, um, and we, do, you know, we do more worship after the sermon than we do before because we won't need to respond to the message. And so the band was really good, and, and we were singing over there, and I just felt God just kind of move into me, and just in a moment, I just, I just did that. And, you know, now that's no big deal. Many of you, that's no big deal. But, you know, for me, that was just, that, that was a moment. I, I just overcame that fear, overcame that obstacle. And I'm not, I'm not being legalistic about it and telling you that you've got to do that. You know, it's not, you know, this is not the burning bush moment. This, you know, we're not the first church of the raised hands, okay? But I'm just telling you, you need to be looking to God to see what's the obstacle, what's the barrier, What do you need to overcome in order to move into an encounter with him? Because for some of you, that's just your next step. Your next step. Uh, You know, for some of you, what's keeping you from God is how you see yourself. And you just need to not see yourself. You just need to fix your eyes on Jesus. For some of you, your God is way too small. You need to see a big God. You need to see a God who's bigger than your problems. You need to see a God that nothing is too hard for. And for some of you, your obstacle is other people. You're ashamed of what they will think. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Now, you'd think Moses would be done, but he's got one more excuse, one more obstacle. He says, number four, I have never... If you're going to encounter God, you are pretty much going to have to do something you've never done before. That's just the way it works. Because there is a step of faith, a step of trust, there is a risk that you need to take in order to encounter God. Look at Exodus 4. Moses said to the Lord, Oh Lord, I have never, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. Moses is telling God that God has picked the wrong guy. God has picked someone who is slow of speech and tongue, who doesn't like to be on the stage, to stand on the stage and speak. Why does God do that? Because there's an element of faith involved. In fact, until you get used to taking steps of faith, you're never going to discover the best of God. So write this down. We must overcome reluctance. We must overcome our own reluctance, our own resistance. I know what I'm supposed to do. I don't want to do it. I know what God's calling me to do. I'm not going to do it. 
And some of you, God, God has been calling you into prayer. And some of you, God has been calling you into fasting. God has been calling you into serving. God's been calling you to going or giving. Some of you, God's calling you into a small group. Never been in one before. Some of you, God's calling you to lead a small group. But the semesters roll around and you think, well, you know, I'll just, I'll wait till January. That'll be better. I'll wait till January. Or I'll wait till the kids are in school. That'll be better. Or I'll wait till the kids are out of school. Or, you know, I'm not old enough to lead a small group. Or, you know, now I'm too old to lead a group. I mean, it's just, it's a reluctance that becomes an obstacle that keeps you from encountering God. Why do we keep pushing you on these things around here? Because we recognize that they're obstacles. And we know what's in store for you when you overcome. Look at Hebrews 11.6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. God likes it when you move toward the burning bush. I don't understand it. I don't get it. It's strange to me. I'm afraid. But when you draw near to God, God will draw near to you. And you will encounter God. Now, folks, you need this. You need this. Because we all are going to face situations in life where if you don't know that you serve an alive, active, personal, present God, life will eat your lunch. But when you know that God is alive and active and personal and present in your life, it changes everything. So let's overcome the obstacles and meet God face to face. Let's pray. Maybe you're here today and and you need to overcome condemnation. You're just carrying the guilt of your sin. You're carrying your hurts and your wounds and they're, they're holding you back, keeping you far from God. And so you need to move from condemnation to salvation. You just need to recognize that Jesus Christ has paid for your sin. That he came to set you free. He came to save you, rescue you, give you a way out. And so today, in this moment, you can respond to him and say, God, I, I, believe, I believe in Christ. I believe he's my savior. And I want you to receive me into your family. I want to be your child. I want you to be my father. And I realize there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And maybe today you need to overcome your doubt. You need, to, you need to start trusting in a big God, a God who's bigger than your problems, a God for whom nothing is too hard. And maybe you need to overcome your fear by getting your eyes off of other people and getting your eyes onto God. So God, I would just pray that you'd help us to break through, that we'd break through our doubt, that we'd break through our fear, that we would overcome our own reluctance that we would stop resisting and we would move toward the strange things that God is calling us to do, that we would step out in faith knowing that as we do that, you will meet us there. God, we thank you for that promise in Jesus' name. Amen.